the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs> Please be seated. I'd like to begin this morning by asking you a question. Raise your hand if you lose things frequently. It's all right. It's a no guilt, no shame. It's why I often buy sunglasses by the pack instead of by the pair. In fact, we have a whole industry, don't we, that has arisen around helping us find our lost things. You now can buy devices to attach to other things that track the things which you lost on your phone. <laughs> or that you can ping your watch to find your phone, and the list goes on and on. In fact, a study showed that, um, on average, people lose nine things a day and spend about 15 minutes looking for them. Now, maybe that statistic gives you comfort, or maybe it gives you pause and, and makes you feel a little bit worse, but that's not my intention this morning. In fact, um, they say that it's a scientific reason, right? Um, that we don't capture memories. It's a failure of attention and memory. Um, that part of our brain, the hippocampus, my, my daughter's telling me about these things now, which is fun to remember from science days and teaching towards that end. That part of our brain is, is um, responsible for this. It takes snapshots of things and stores them in our neurons so that we can access them later. So if that isn't fully captured, we can't go back to those memories, and we don't remember where they are. So we do that normal thing, right? We pause, we have some mindfulness, we retrace our steps, we try to reactivate, where was that thing, right? But it's not just things that we lose. We can also lose far more important things. We can fail to remember things as well. It's for that reason we place them on calendars, right? Celebrations, memorials, things that we don't want to forget. So we trip over them annually or, or even more frequently so that we don't fail to recall them. The reason I share all this this morning is um, that we're, we're moving into the halfway point today of our stewardship series, and the whole reason that we do that, the whole reason we talk about stewardship in the first place is to do just that, to help us remember, to try to reactivate, if you will, a part of our minds that um, can often quickly forget something about who God is and our relationship with him. In fact, more often than not, when we run into this topic, um, I want to remind you, first and foremost, it's not about money. It's not about budgets. It's all about relationship and a return to the Lord and a recognition of who we are in his eyes. So um, on the heels of a wonderful reminder about first fruits and, tr <clears throat> and trusting in the Lord last week, um, let's zoom out once more to look at um, why it is that we're called to give in the first place and what it does for us when we do so. So there's a number of texts this morning that we could dive into, but I'd like to return to this first text from Deuteronomy this morning as we explore that together. So open with me in your Bibles to it or follow along on the screens where I believe we'll find um, a couple lessons or three lessons towards that end together. As you're locating that, let's get a little bit of context here to, to jog your memory. Um, Deuteronomy, at least this section of it, right, is entering into kind of the second half of Moses' uh, message or teaching or reminder to the Israelites before they enter the promised land. Um, in fact, all of Deuteronomy, as you hopefully recall, is, is Moses' farewell discourse to the Israelites, who um, were offered to enter the land some 40 years prior, but due to their uh, acknowledgement of, and trust of God, 
um, spent 40 more years wandering around in the wilderness. And so here they stand, literally on the eastern edge of the promised land, scattered as sand covers the seashore, this whole people, as Moses serves to remind them of all that God has taught and commanded. Um, beginning in with the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5 and working through some pivotal moments um, until we reach chapter 8. And so here in chapter 8, um, he really wants to drill down in uh, some things that they will recall as they go forth into this promised land, some things to remind them of, not with specificity, but he wants to paint the picture so that hopefully it jogs their memory. In verse 7, where we pick up, Moses almost poetically um, casts this vision of what they will enter the land to see. As they're leaning in on the eastern edge of the promised land, Moses reminds them, the Lord your God is bringing you into this good land. And then he vividly explains what they'll find, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out of valleys and hills, land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are copper and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. Moses wonderfully um, casts this vision of everything that they will soon partake of, things that were reported back many, many years prior from Caleb and the spies that they heard and knew were good, but feared that God could actually establish that place for them. So here they are, they're about to finally inherit this place and inherit all the provision that God will bring them. And after Moses casts this vision of everything that they will see, which Moses only witnesses from afar himself, um, he reminds them in verse 10, one time and in many other places, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the land he has given you. You shall bless the Lord your God for the land he has given you. It's, a, it's an act of worship. When you enter in to this land, when you receive all that God has provided for you, you will bless him, or you shall. It's a command. You should bless him. You should worship. You should recognize that it is he who brings forth all of these things, and as such, your response is to bless him in return. I think there perhaps is, is really, I mean, if you forget everything else this month that we talk about in terms of stewardship, that sums it up. I mean, we really could say that's the beginning and the end. Our giving is truly just an act of worship. It's an act of blessing the Lord. Um, that's all there is to it. Um, blessing the Lord for not a particular place he's given us, as he's given the Israelites, but a place that um, we will inherit, um, namely a place where he resides with him forevermore. And so as we move through this life, um, as we return to him, our gifts and our offerings, the whole of our lives, really, um, of which our financial stewardship is just a piece, but it's one that is a way in which we bless the Lord. We, we, we come to him week in and week out so that we don't forget we don't forget who he is. We don't forget what he's provided. We don't forget um, those things. It's just a, a recall moment. It's nothing we can repay, of course. We can't ever repay God for what he's done for us, as Timothy reminds us, or Paul reminds us in his letter to Timothy, rather, this morning. Um, in the gift of God, the, the gift that we can never repay in Jesus Christ, that it's really um, just a response to what he's done. 
It's not a repayment. It's not something that we must do. It's a may. And as we'll look at next week, that's why we do so cheerfully. It's not about duty or obligation. It's, it's truly an act of worship. I share this from time to time. Um, I, I truly love how our brothers and sisters uh, worship from around the world, having spent time in pockets of our tradition elsewhere. Um, my favorite, of course, is always in Africa. Um, there's such a, a vibrancy around worship um, in, in general, um, but certainly around the offering. Um, in fact, the offering sometimes can, can exceed the sermon in terms of length um, because they truly dance their way down. Uh, if you could just imagine that, the whole congregation um, actually gets up, not out of dismissal like we do for communion, but just as the Lord moves, and they dance their way down. Um, it takes so long because not only are they bringing their offerings every week, but they often offer a blessing to the Lord for something that he's done um, in response. So it may be um, a response for something simple, um, like provision for the day. Um, in some ways, it's a new job, and sometimes they've, they've overcome some sickness, and they recognize that everything in their life is because of what God has done for them. And so um, in the big ways and in the small, sometimes they come back, and then they'll sit down, and they'll think about it, and they have something else they want to praise God for. So it's a very lively part of the service. I love the imagery of it because it reminds us that is what we're called to do. That's really the beginning and the ending of it. And there's, there's another point, though, that I think is worth bearing out. It's not just something we do, but it's something that helps us as well. If we look back to verse 11, I think we discover this in the middle section of this text. So Moses, after laying out where they're headed, reminding them when you get there, bless the Lord, um, he gets into some cautionary uh, reminders here. Uh, the first of a couple times, right? Take care. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, which I commanded you today. Lest when you've eaten your full and have built your houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. Then you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So there's this wonderful reminder in this middle section where Moses is reminding the people of Israel, don't forget, don't forget um, when you get into the land all that God has done. In fact, the cautionary tale um, is probably twofold. He's, he's wanting them to be guarded against both presumption and pride when we think about that. Um, the, the first is, you know, um, the, the, the pride that lest you get in and you forget, really, um, the, the hardest thing, which I think is probably more true for our culture than maybe anywhere else, is when we have plenty, our heart, as the biblical phrase, not my words, but scripture, grows gross and fat. Um, that's, that's a great Old Testament phrase. Our heart grows gross and fat. I mean, right? It basically means we, we just kind of forget. We just kind of get lethargic. Yeah, okay, we're good. I've got all that I've needed. And so I, I weigh out all these things that I might want to do. And, and we kind of bumble around and, and sometimes in our own pride think that, you know, well, I'll just kind of do whatever, whatever's needful. I can, you know, figure out things here and there. Um, and so Moses wants them to remember, lest you get into the land and you have all these things that I've told you you're going to have because God's going to do it. When you have them, and let's go over them again, when you have all those things and then some, don't get to this place 
where your plenteousness gets you in a prideful place before the Lord and you forget him. So really, what our giving does for us, and I found this true in our lives, uh, in our family, but I, I believe it's true of all of us, is that we don't just bless the Lord, which could be the end result in and of itself, but really what it does for us is also um, guards us. It guards us. It guards us from the very same things, from a place of, of both presumption or being in a place of plenty, or even when we're lacking um, to just say, well, when I get to a different place, then I'll consider this. In a sense, our giving tethers us to the Lord in such a way that it keeps us leaning into him, especially, especially in the times of plenty. We know how to lean in when the times are lean. We often go to the Lord in those times. But in the times when things are okay or things are just kind of plugging away, that's usually the time when we need to be tethered and reminded towards that end. And so um, Scripture reminds us here, of course, that that's one of the chief things, I believe, that we discover when we give. It, it guards our hearts from that place. And then the last section here actually deals with this very topic of finances, of course, in verse 14 and following. Um, and, and I love the way that um, this is kind of lined out. Remember, um, oral tradition, right? So you kind of have to think of this more as a message being delivered than, than a letter being read, as, as Paul's letters are. And so I think this is so helpful. Then your heart be lifted up. There's that pride again. Um, and you forget your God, the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Then there's this series of who. So remember who is being referenced there, God, right? Um, who, God, led you through this great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water? Who, the Lord your God, who it was, who brought water out of the flinty rock? Who, the Lord your God, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end? Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. So in that section, um, Moses really wants to drive home, yes, you're going to get some really wonderful things when you inherit the promise of a particular place and the provision that God has given you when you go there. But don't forget, even when you are out in the wilderness, and what you would see is the, the worst of times, remember, God still provided for you there. He didn't let the sandals on your feet wear out. Um, he provided water from the rock. He um, provided manna, literally means, what is it? Um, nobody knew what it was, but God literally gives them food from heaven, right? And the psalmist reminds us um, that that's something that they have to wrestle down, um, you know, that their fathers did not know, and no one else knew towards that end. And so from that place, from those places, remember, remember it's the Lord your God who provides for you and sustains you through this all. In a sense, um, when we get to that place, um, verses 17 and 18, it's just a recap of where we've been. It's an act of blessing to the Lord. Yes, it guards your heart, but it also keeps you in the Lord in many ways. I think that could be this kind of last Point of remembrance. It keeps us in a posture to remember and recap of all this, so that it's the Lord who provides. It's the Lord who sustains. It's the Lord who tends to us and takes care of us. Um, it's the Lord who gives us those things. We can't make tomorrow come. 
And as I'm aging, and uh, my friends that are a little older remind me, um, I'm in what they call the age of discovery, right? So I often took for granted that every morning I could just roll out of bed and do the things that I wanted to do. Um, there are some mornings that's not as easy. Um, and I wonder if I punched the wall in the middle of the night or somebody kicked me in the back, which could have been the case. Um, not Michelle, but someone else who maybe got in with us in the middle of the night. Um, and, and, you know, you kind of wonder. You know, so not only do you recognize that not every day is promised, but sometimes not everything functions as you expected when you went to bed. Uh, all that to say is we cannot make anything truly happen, right? Uh, we can't make things function the way we want as much as we'd like to. And so as we reflect on the gifts of God from the next breath, to the next day, to the moment to stand up and take nourishment, um, whatever the case may be, we're reminded that it's the Lord who provides for those things. And so as we're moving through this season of stewardship, it reminds us that as we give back to the Lord, um, it keeps us oriented on that fact, that biblical principle that God is the keeper of it all. And as such, um, we are giving back to him merely out of the purpose of recognition of that and in response to that. Because again, let's end where we began, right? God does not need my money or yours. God doesn't even need St. Barnabas. Um, God's going to do what God's going to do. Um, but he invites us into this work with him, and our response to him is so that we can be co-laborers towards that end. And so really, we're the ones who need it. I'm the one who needs that reminder. Um, and as we give back to the Lord, it keeps us in this place um, where we are drawn back to be uh, more reflective of who he is. Because at the end of the day, remember, the goal of the Christian life is not just to get to the other side. That's not the promise of Scripture. The promise that you'll find more often than not in Scripture with repetition is that you get into his presence to be what? More as he is. And every aspect of our discipleship is intended to make us or grow us up, as Paul will write, in the full stature and maturity of the knowledge and love of God. So that's why we move from stewardship to evangelism and all these other things. We're to grow up to be as Jesus is, right? And what do we reflect of God the Father through our stewardship? One of the best things, his generosity. His generosity and his open-handedness, not just towards us, but to all of creation, whereby he withheld nothing, not even his own son, for our sake, so that we might be brought into his presence. So what we're growing in is to be more as he is. And our giving really is in response to that. It helps guard us in that, and it helps keep us in remembrance of this. But the end result is not building more things for the Lord, not more people in pews, not more activities and programs, not more whatever the fill-in-the-blank is. It's that each and every person who spends time in this place, by God's grace, looks more like he is. That's what the church does. There's plenty of other relief organizations. There's plenty of other places you can find fellowship. There's plenty of other things out there. But what the church does specifically mm -hmm. is assist souls in growing up to be more like the one they profess their faith in. And so everything we do, everything we're about, should be to bringing people to come to acknowledge that or to grow up in that. And that's why we give. So may God bless us as we um, spend time my only ask for you in stewardship has been and only will be to spend time in prayer with the Lord on this topic and then respond obediently however he lies that on your heart. That's all I can ask. 
So I would ask that as we hit that halfway point, you spend some time. Use the collects in the, in the uh, bulletin, the prayer that we'll say, uh, maybe as part of your morning or evening time with the Lord. Spend some time looking at that with him and doing an earnest soul's inventory towards that end so that you might be more as he is on the other side of this journey. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.